0: Podcasting from 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney, it's the IGN digi And now, please welcome two men who think fish are friends, not food, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Thank you, Corey. Who sent that in? That was written by Kevin Loa. This Mm -hmm. is my Australian accent. What do you think? Don't answer that. Yeah because wallabies and stuff. Well, anyway... Uh, what was that music, Wade? Mark, that music was in tribute to uh, someone who has dearly departed us. And uh, uh, as much of a critic as I have been of his over the years, um, it's heartbreaking.
1: I it was very, very upset. He yeah. was my guy. He was... My, I'm telling you, in 19... Look, in 1981, when he... He did this movie with uh, Michael King called The Hand. Yeah. It was a horror film. It was Oliver Stone's first film as a director. And Oliver the Stone hands. has a
0: cameo in it.
1: Yeah. And he has a cameo in it. James Horner did the music. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, I like the music for this thing. Then he did Wolfen with Albert yeah. Finney. Another film I like. Who's this guy, James Horner? I'm right? like I'm like three years old. I have, what do I know about film music except for uh, except for John Williams and Star Wars? Yeah. Then Star Trek Two. Yeah. It all changed. And I was just so hooked on that guy. I would see a movie... Just because he did the music, and then by the way, he did then he did forty eight hours.
0: What we, what we just played was Brainstorm, which is one of, you know I've always been a critic of his, but I, I love brainstorm I love forty eight hours. I love Braveheart, I love the lost the the new world. Um, I, I, loved Iris, you know, which is one of his scores that nobody pays attention to. Um, so he, you know, it, it's just, nobody should go that way. That just, what a horrible
1: way to go. You, you know, I, way, I, way, I know. kept staring at the headline that said James Horner dies in yeah. playing. I'm like, I, I, still couldn't believe it. I mean, literally movies like The Dresser or Gorky Park. Yeah. I mean, I would see those movies because he scored them. Yeah. They're, they're movies that like a teenager should not want to go see Gorky Park.
0: I, uh, and Brainstorm. Oh, the
1: Stone Boy, I, I remember the Stone Boy, the Stone Boy with Robert Duvall. Yeah, I mean, like I'm like whatever, thirteen years old. Why do I want to go see the Stone Boy? One reason because James Horner did the music. He
0: he actually scored he I, I believe he did he he scored like three or four best picture winners.
1: Oh yeah, three: Titanic, A Beautiful Mind, and Braveheart.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, which is, you know, that, you, you don't find a lot of people who've scored that many Best Picture winners.
1: That's true. You just don't. And by the way, when, when Titanic came out, I was so excited Horner was doing the score for Titanic, yeah. and in the end, I didn't even like to score that much. Yeah. And I hated wow. that stupid song. I'm sorry, James Horner, you know how much I love you. I, I, I collected yeah. your soundtracks. I, I, I literally, when Star Trek II came out, came on the Z Channel, dearly mm-hmm. departed, paid cable network, the Z Channel from the yep, 80s, sure. I took a cassette recorder. And I, not a VHS machine, a cassette recorder. Yep. And I recorded the whole movie on a cassette recorder so that I can listen back to all the cues that didn't make the soundtrack out. Wow. Which I already owned. Yeah. So I was very, very upset. It just it's, really sucks.
0: It's distressing. Uh, you know, he was, what was he, 61?
1: 61. 61. So young. His young. last great score, by the way, Beautiful Mind. That was a legitimately he, great score. He,
0: he did kind of fade away for the last 10 years. Uh, it's kind of kind of strange. He, he started... was not interested.
1: He, was, you know what? He, and I've read, I had read plenty of interviews with him. He got tired of being offered just the superhero movies, which he didn't want to do. And the well, reason, at a certain
0: point, you he, after after that career, you have a luxury of being able to turn that stuff down.
1: Well, true. And the reason why he did Amazing Spider Man was because he got along very well with Mark Webb. Yeah, because he was a new direct. He was a a new director to that big budget genre, and Horner felt like he could at least. To him, to him, the action stuff was easy. Yeah. The reason why he wanted to do Spider Man was because he felt like he could write some nice themes for Peter Parker and uh, the girl, whatever her name is. Yeah. Got it ready, uh, Mary Mary Jane or Emma Stone, whatever. Emma Stone. So he he did it. He did it because he felt like he can really dig into the the character themes. The action stuff to him at that point in his career, he could just do that. Yeah. it Was blindfolded.
0: Well, and you know, the, the, his first score, his real big breakthrough, was Battle Beyond the Stars.
1: Which is where he met uh, James Cameron.
0: Which is where he met James Cameron, who was working on, uh, on the film under Jerry Murakami as, a, uh, as, a, as an effects technician. And uh, that was a Corman-produced film. And essentially, he got the call because Corman said, I want you to do a score that sounds like a cross between John Williams' Star Wars music and Jerry Goldsmith's Star Trek music. And uh, it's exactly what he provided them. And uh, that film is still just such a bizarre oddity. That that, that that you know what people describe that spaceship as, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's space a, it's like a
1: big fallopian tube or something. No, it,
0: it's a pregnant Enterprise flying backwards. <laughs> That's how it was described. It looks like a pregnant Enterprise flying backwards.
1: Did Did you hear the story about how he briefly dated Jerry Goldsmith's daughter in college? In college, Isn't that weird. That it's kind of
0: creepy. It's kind of creepy. There's but, a real – like there's like a Hitchcockian v- know, vertigo weird. weird obsession to that. That is true.
1: And, and of course obviously because they couldn't afford Jerry Goldsmith. Not yeah. only could they not afford Jerry Goldsmith on uh, Star Trek yeah. II, but according to Shatner's book, yeah. um, n- director Nick Meyer had to fight Paramount who preferred a cheaper synth score. Uh-huh. They wanted a synth score to save money. And then Meyer said, "No, no, I want an orchestral score, and I think I can get somebody young and cheap. I have, I found this guy, and the rest is history."
0: Well, and we also want to thank everybody who wrote us about uh, apparently your uh, your your thing going off. Your
1: oh yeah, you know what? <laughs> uh, oh, well,
0: hey, we had people writing us on the on the Facebook page saying, "There's a beeping in the back. The last two weeks, it's been driving me crazy." Well, we the, reason the reason that's
1: true, the reason that's true, the reason that's true is because there was a beeping in the back. Yeah, it was my uh, smoke detector. Yeah.
0: I didn't even notice it. I didn't
1: notice it either. Isn't that funny? Well, it was a Christian uh, Kaczynski.
0: A bunch of people got to us, but yeah. yeah.
1: I have the email from Christian.
0: Yes. Well, we also uh, had an email that I want to read. Uh, we, and we have a Vox Box today, too. <laughs> no, not oh.
1: yet.
0: We have a Vox Box. But I want to read an email right, right off the top before we talk about your uh, your, your vacation because I want to hear about the Sphinx. But, um, the what? The Sphinx. So we got an email... Uh, from Jason Levy who said hi Wade Mark I was taking a look at cinematographer Dean Cundey's IMDB page and noticed that uh, this guy who used to be doing major films for Zemeckis Spielberg and Ron Howard has not really done anything of note for many years All of his listings for the last many years have been mostly comedies and family films, and really not a single good film in the bunch. The last really good film I can see is Apollo 13, and after that, it all starts to go downhill. Do you have any idea what happened to his career? Sure, you can see he hasn't uh, stopped working, but the quality of what he's been working on just really took a turn for the worst. Does he have a bad reputation or something?
1: Okay, first of all, before you answer that, why does he not mention that Dean also shot Escape from New York?
0: Uh, Put it out there. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Uh, Dean Cundey is is going to be 69 this year. Not old, but also not young. And uh, as I wrote back, I you know if you look at all the other DPs from that generation, which which includes like Vittorio Serraro and Alan Dovitchal, all these guys, they're still around. They're still working, but they they just aren't. You just don't see them showing up on like the big Oscar nominated films anymore. And uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. Part of it is because everything's moved to digital, and these are all film guys. And a lot of film guys don't really embrace the move to digital. They don't want to be working with video cameras. They don't want to be working with a video workflow. They believe in buying film stock and loading it into a camera and timing film. And, you know, they're old school, and that's how they, they learn to light. And they don't want to have to relearn how to relight for something that they think looks ugly. And they're all very capable. I mean, you know, these guys know how to shoot digital. They just don't particularly like it in many cases. So, and the other thing is they shoot at a certain speed with a certain crew and they're very expensive. And a lot of these new upcoming DPs who are able to basically shoot things just raw so you don't have to worry about lighting or, you know, actually getting the shot right and you make it in post, which is kind of cheating, but that's how a lot of films are done. That way you can shoot quickly. And you save money. So it's, it's the, the way that movies are made. The nature of production has changed to such a degree that a lot of those old school DPs, as good as they are, they, they kind of don't plug into the hole anymore. And it's sad and it's unfortunate, but you know, it's, uh, it's the reality we're dealing with. Well, that's the,
1: um, that's the amazing part about uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. And Mad Max Fury Road, as I'm sure you know, the, uh, the DP there came out of retirement, John Seal. He had John Seal had retired.
0: I know, and 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 he
1: came out of retirement just to do Mad Max.
0: And George Miller talked him out of retirement. Yeah, he had to talk him out of it.
1: And John Seal is—I don't know how old he is. He was probably probably born in in the early forties. He's
0: that—he's that generation as well.
1: Yeah, John Seal was born in 1942. Yeah, so he's like whatever, seventy years old, coming out of retirement, coming out of retirement to sit in like the sweltering Zimbabwe desert or whatever for like you know six months shooting a Mad Max film.
0: And tell. And by the way, we also have new gear this week: uh, new microphones, new uh, new everything. It's new, new whole it's new sa- whole new sound setup. Which I want to throw a shout out to. Uh, a big thanks to Denny Bryant over in New Zealand, who uh, recommended the gear that we are actually using. Really? So, yes, she did. She did. She recommended this gear, and I thought, why not? You know, she's she's got she's got killer music know-how. So. I uh, I figured why not, so went and invested in the gear. Let us know if it sounds good. It certainly sounds good to me right now. So uh, we'll see how it sounds once it converts and pops onto the internet and goes through the gremlin uh, gauntlet. And you know, it, who who knows what it sounds like at that point. But right now, it sounds good. I'm digging it.
1: All right. Meanwhile, wait. Are we not talking meanwhile, about yeah. uh, DVDs and Blu-rays? Come on.
0: You know, we got uh, we got documentaries. So uh, let's let's plow through some documentaries here, real quickly.
1: We got a lot. Of... I like how you start with the interesting stuff.
0: Well, you know, there's some really interesting stuff like here, like free the nipple. Uh, free the nipple. Hey, that,
1: you know what? That's a good place
0: to start. Yeah, free the nipple. Uh, this is ah boy. You know what? Every time we get a get any kind of a documentary that ha- that deals with uh, any kind of uh, genitalia, nudity, whatever, it. it, it, it you always got to wonder, are they doing this just to be kind of you know prurient and provocative, or is there really a point here and here there's actually a point uh this is the true story of um of live and with who were these activists in New York who uh were actually it, it's a whole it's the story of their kind of whole gender equality fight but it's um it's basically about kind of encapsulated in the idea of women's right to go topless just like men can go topless. Now, I just want to say I'm really not in favor of men going topless. Most men that I know, I kind of wish that they'd stay covered up most of the time. I have a dad you know bod. I mean? Yeah. See, I'm not I'm not into the I'm not into the yeah, the, the but you know, if women want to go topless, I've lived in France, I've seen it. Um, it's got its pros and cons. Uh, most of the women on French beaches really should not be going topless, but hey, you know, whatever. It's an interesting story. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, it's got a it's got a real sassy feel to it. I, I, it's an okay doc. I mean, it's not groundbreaking or anything, but it was all right. And then uh, we unfortunately we have Manny Liam Neeson n- nomin- uh, narrates Manny, which is the story of uh, a gentleman who is no longer a, uh, a champion boxer. Um, you know the uh, the, Manny Pacquiao is a really interesting guy. Uh, he's he's really soft-spoken, he's really religious, and he's a really weird interview, and uh, sometimes I wonder if there isn't a language barrier or something. But anyway, uh, this is essentially the story of Manny Pacquiao, and it is illuminating. It, tell, it gives you a lot of insights into who he is and, and why he is the way he is and why he's such a great fighter. I don't know that it's really going to... Um, I don't know that it illuminates what happened in the aftermath of that fight against, uh, uh, what's his name, the guy that kicked his butt. I don't pay attention yeah. to boxing anyway. anymore.
1: Oh, it's uh, not even at Holyfield. Uh, Manny Pacquiao yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, some dude.
0: Yeah, well, anyway. Some boxer. I'm drawing a blank. But, yeah, they, 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 they're both getting sued. You know that. I just. The other, the other guy by his girlfriend for beating her up. Blah, cause he, blah, cause blah. He, Anyway, Manny Pacquiao for, for, for faking it in, or not telling people he was injured or something. Um, and uh, then also got a thing here called Britain's Bloodiest Dynasty, the Plantagenet. Um, this is designed to sort of capitalize on the fascination with Game of Thrones by pretending to be the real-life Game of Thrones. They even throw a poll quote on the, from the Daily Mail on here that, that posits that. It's a little bit of that. If you don't know the Plantagenets, it's the family that uh, basically split into two halves, or it's a legacy that became two different halves uh, after... The, uh, the era of Richard the Lionheart, the, second, the Third Crusade, and the Magna Carta, uh, you know, King John, all that stuff. And then it gave birth to the War of the Roses. This is from Athena, really interesting. The War of the Roses is a, an amazing period of British history, and uh, I thought this was fantastic. Uh, really great uh, educational bit from uh, the, uh, the, line, the Athena line of uh, Acorn.
1: Uh, we also have this uh, couple docs that I liked. Uh, this thing called "The Way Things Go." Now, "The, uh, the Way Things Go" is about this um, this these Swiss artists, uh, Peter Fischli and David Weiss. And what they do is they create these very complicated Rube Goldberg esque contraptions. And a lot of them use like household items, like you know, shoes and you know these like wooden ramps that they build and kettles and 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 you know whatever tires and they build these contraptions and then they see what they can do with them and it's really cool they
0: also set, I'll tell you they, what they can do with them
1: shove, up, shove yeah. them up your butt yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. up your them. butt yeah. um, and so sometimes they they set them on fire or they use they spray them with water and they use all the, they try to get all these interesting chemical reactions out of them and it's just yeah. really fun yeah. These guys are really interesting, iconoclastic scientists who found their own way to sort of choreograph these really cool experiments. And uh, I think this was a cool little documentary. It's a cool little uh, look at uh, at guys who do things a different way, and you can't beat that. Now the movie's pretty old; it's from 1987, but we, still, we, it's good.
0: We do things a different way every yeah. week, the wrong way, but.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, Smiling Through the Apocalypse, a very, very good documentary. This is on DVD. It's all about Esquire magazine in the '60s. Now, in the '60s, in the '60s, there was a sort of a sea change in the magazine industry, and you got a lot of um, Playboy, Playboy, and Esquire was right there. And you, but you know what? These magazines were on the forefront of a new kind of journalism, very much in the Truman Capodian cold blood way. Y-
0: you know, uh, Peter Bogdanovich was the. Uh, Film critic for Esquire.
1: He was. Yep. Very originally. exciting stuff. Yep. Um, so, this is about Harold Hayes and how Harold Hayes was the editor of Esquire during those years. And this documentary is uh, directed by his son. And uh, so, obviously, it's very fawning, but it's also very true. And you really get a sense of how magazines back then, when there were, you know, a dozen magazines in the country that anyone cared about, now there's a million magazines and blogs and whatever, websites and whatever. But back in the 60s, it was not that way. So you get a sense of Esquire magazine and how they kind of changed the landscape of magazine publishing um, through their long-form articles and their photography. So uh, it's good stuff. Smiling through the apocalypse. Also, we have a pretty good documentary on Babe Ruth. This is called American Hercules. Eh, a stupid name. <laughs> uh, this is uh, by the good folks at the MLB Network. Uh, by the way, the Mets, uh, they won today. Oh, well, good. That's it, a change. Isn't it, though? <laughs> Ugh,
0: we're, I'm just taking a guess. We're,
1: f- no, we're pretty much back to being the Mets okay. now. Okay. We were great. Now we're back to being the Mets. Anyway, uh, this one—the the only thing I can really recommend here—you uh, know, this is the oft-told story of Babe Ruth. Uh, there's a lot of great archive footage. Mm. A lot of archive footage that I've not seen before. Him and his family. Him on the field. So I can really, I can really recommend it just based on the amount of archival material. So uh, check it out, uh, American Hercules, Babe Ruth. Eh, What else do we have here? We have If You Build It. Uh, Now, this is from the guys who made uh, Wordplay. Wordplay was one of my favorite was good that year. That was good. And uh, it's all about this particular innovative way that kids are being educated in rural areas like North Carolina. And these guys, they work with the local high schools, and they sort of get really – granular with the kids lives it's not just about the school it's about the com- it's about working with them in their community working with them in their in their private lives to make sure that they're getting the education that they need that they're not going down the wrong path so it's a very interesting way to do it um this thing if you build it it's all about uh, education in these rural areas so if you want to look at a different i know wade's a big fan of a common core
0: I, I know nothing about Common Core.
1: I thought you like I thought you hated Common Core. No, I uh, me
0: I hate no. I'm uh, I'm I kind of hate. Well, that gets into a whole different conversation. When when Greg Whiteley's new documentary comes out and we talk about it, which is all about uh, the education system, I'll get into all of that stuff. I have very peculiar and particular views of the education system, based on an event that happened to me when I was in third grade, and I got very very angry about it, and it has tainted my views ever since. Third grade.
1: Uh, My I, whole life, third grade. It, I, I know I refuse to get into this conversation because we'll spend an hour and a half yep, you ranting true. about Very true. education. Mm-hmm. All right, two more uh, that I have right now. Uh, this one's great. Bob Hope entertaining the troops, American entertainers in World War II. Now, um, you know, nowadays, you know, stand-up comics, they they, they they go to Iraq and they entertain the troops. But really a lot of that started with Bob Hope. Bob Hope was an amazing supporter of our troops. He would go overseas during World War II and, and subsequent wars as well. He would go overseas and entertain the troops with a whole bunch of great celebrities. He would get him to go over there Bing Crosby, Jack Benny, Abbott and Costello, Lena Horn, Dinah Shore, um, Irving Berlin. So, this is a documentary all about Bob Hope traveling overseas for these, um, for these uh, shows to support the troops and all the celebrities he brought with him. And it's great, it's wonderful. Your parents will love it. Uh, James Cagney would go. You know, Humphrey, even Humphrey Bogart showed up to a couple of these. Um, so there you go. Entertaining the Troops, Bob Hope. Very, very good stuff. A great piece of World War II history that has, uh, you know, that overlaps with the entertainment business. And finally, uh, at least uh, for me right now, from the good folks at Virgil Films, Pandas, The Journey Home.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, this is a
1: bl- uh, Blu-ray all about stupid pandas. Because pandas are stupid.
0: I like pandas.
1: They're the dumbest pandas. Pandas are the dumbest pandas ever.
0: They're, they're still endangered. That's the sad thing. They just cannot get these things to, to properly reproduce. It's just they, they, have, the, they have the damnedest time. And then well, these they're it, all
1: filled with fur. I mean, yeah. how, does, how, does one, how does the, the boy uh, part get into the girl part with I all that know. fur? And how do you know who's a guy and who's a girl? You just don't. I don't know. I mean, you know, pandas, they're, they're, they're not that bright. They don't know. Yeah. Anyway, beautiful uh, photography. Pandas, the journey home. Uh, beautiful pandas. It's pandas. Stop that. Okay. Pandas. And we
0: uh, here. Oh, I'll, watch me burn out, burn through the rest of these docs real super quick. Oh, do you have another one? You got another one?
1: Oh, this is Generation yeah. Baby Buster. Um, this uh, this really was more for you, Wade. Is I have it to really? Say. Yeah. And uh, it's... it's the, the whole baby thing. You know what? It's really, it's, I, it's it's cute and has a lot of humor in it. I have to say, it's probably better as like a 2020 type trend piece. It's all about how women are just, are not having kids.
0: Why, is why that for, women? Why is that for me?
1: i am not one because I'm not a wa- woman because nobody wants you to have more kids I know uh,
0: you know the uh, I, I cannot get the theme song for Sophia the First out of my head all day long that thing just it's like on a permanent loop
1: I don't know what that is um, so this is all about how women are very ambivalent about having kids and why there's some societal pressure for them to have kids if they don't have kids or they have failure uh, can you have a happy life uh, and not be seen as selfish because you don't want kids so you know again there's value in in there's value in this subject uh she does show have a lot of humor, including some animation that's kind of fun, a lot of interviews um but ultimately, I think this is just like a thirty minute you know twenty twenty piece but she stretches it out to an hour and a half. all right
0: there you go uh all right, here are the rest of the docs. Stop the pounding heart. What an interesting movie this is uh This is one of those documentaries. It's almost like it 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 verges there there are a few of these they they're sort of more lyrical character study tone poem things you almost lose track of the fact that this is uh this is a nonfiction film uh it's essentially a uh, a look at a particular woman and a particular family that are part of a uh a very very re- kind of re- extremely religious very conservative subcommunity but it's done in such a non-judgmental pastoral uh, way and the way that their their lives and the story of their lives just kind of trans- unspool in front of the camera. It's uh, there's something very kind of Malick like about this, very Days of Heaven, and um, really interesting. Um, this thing was in uh, a sidebar in competition, kind of a, a non-competitive sidebar at Cannes. And uh, I think it's definitely worth checking out if you like films that just have a certain flowing, lyrical nature to them. Uh, It's like uh, the direct cinema era, sort of brought up into the Terrence Malick era. Anyway, Stop the Pounding Heart by a filmmaker named Roberto Minervini. Uh, Very good. We have a uh, three-DVD set, Historic Tanks and Battles of World War II. I am. Uh, I'm a big fan of any anything to do with World War II and tanks. I just love all that footage, and uh, this just really goes to town. It's exclusively focused on the tanks, the models of tanks, uh, the tank warfare. So obviously, you get a lot of Patton stuff in here. You get a lot of Rommel stuff in here. Uh, really, really interesting, uh, because that stuff tends to be kind of a, a sidebar to everything else. You focus on all these other battles and air battles and uh, ground battles, and the the tanks are just kind of a tool, and nobody ever really gets into the details of them so whenever they get into tanks and ships and really mechanical details, i think it 's really interesting uh, the uh, The Sherman tank is extensively discussed here, as is the one the t thirty uh, four from Russia. And uh, you talk about the Battle of Kursk, the Battle of Normandy, the Ardennes Offensive—a lot of really great stuff here. So that for, for fans of the the big armored uh, weaponry of World War II, yeah, that can't get any better. Uh, Giuseppe makes a movie; is an Adam Rifkin film. We've interviewed Adam Rifkin on this uh, show before. Uh, we like Adam Rifkin a lot, and this is a this is from Cinelicious Picks. This is just a totally bizarre look at this guy named Giuseppe Andrews, who was uh, at one point actually an actor. Uh, he was in Ind- Independence Day in Detroit Rock City, and he just makes these like super, un- these ultra low budget films, and uh, they're just he just like grabs you know vagrants and bums and hobos off the street, and it's very. It's very strange, and it's uh, so, somehow it's, you, 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 you get caught up in the fact that, that you, you don't, you're not quite sure if the movie about this is more fictitious than the movies being portrayed. You know what I mean? You get into this weird kind of meta thing. You get into like it, a meta world. It's an
1: Adam Rifkin film. It's Put, an Adam in, Rifkin in film. In other words, yeah.
0: Bottom line, you know you're the, gonna get your money's worth. You do. The dark backward, he still owns that. Uh, got some great ones here from First Run Features. Uh, Sagrada, The Mystery of Creation. Uh, this, is a, this is actually a really, really interesting uh, look at the uh, – from, from a filmmaker named Stefan Haupt, who is a, a documentarian I am not familiar with. Essentially, this is a look at an amazing um, Barcelona basilica. And it is the Basilica uh, La Sagrada Familia, and it's just uh, absolutely an amazing 19th century uh, architectural work of art. The film is in uh, Catalan, English, French, Spanish. Uh, you know, so you get English subtitles whenever people aren't speaking English. Um, there's also optional Spanish subtitles, but really, really very interesting if you're uh, if you're into archi- uh, architecture and uh, particularly uh, old European architecture. It's an amazing structure. Barcelona, really interesting city. I keep meaning to go there great soccer team by the way oh did i mention the women's world cup is on you don't care yeah okay what what, what now yeah whatever uh also from first run features via the Sam golden company a year in champagne uh not exactly a year actually in the liquid champagne uh but this is about the process of uh making champagne and uh in especially champagne,
1: champagne unless it's made in champagne
0: in the champagne region that's right exactly so it's not like you're in the liquid, you're in the region. Correct. Where they make the liquid. Yeah. I'm just making And that the clear.
1: region and the liquid have the same name. Exactly. It's very confusing. And that name is Champagne.
0: It's very confusing. It's kind of like it's kind of like, uh, um, Pellegrino. Like if you go to San Pellegrino, that's where the San Pellegrino comes from.
1: But you have to take the sand off.
0: Yeah, I guess.
1: Here's to Champagne. And it would it, be like going to the Coke region where they make Coke.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or the Pepsi Region?
1: No, that's the uh, Dr Pepper region. Oh, they make it's Pepsi in the Do- they make See, Yes, I knew that. I knew Pibb that. Isn't that
0: a funny thing? I knew that. Well, anyway,
1: Dr. Where, where did Dr Pepper go to school? What What does what he a doctor of? I mean, seriously, salt. He's a
0: He's a doctor of salt. Carbonation. Uh, and making, making Miss Hill making dance matter. Um, great dance doc. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm up and down on dance docs. At a certain point, I, you, you know, you can only watch people contort themselves so many different ways. Uh, but this is the, this is really interesting. one. it's a story of Martha Hill. Who uh, became a who, who really is kind of an amazing figure in the history of American dance uh, that I certainly was never familiar with, but uh, she founded the uh, dance division at Juilliard, and this is just decades worth of material and footage, and it's really an interesting story. So uh, even though I'm I you know wasn't as engrossed in this as I am in other dance films, which are about more famous you know choreographers and whatnot, certainly engaging.
1: Whatever, we I, I'm, I'm checking Tinder
0: uh, You go do that And then uh, winding down Just a few more here We yeah, also you see, have Here's the
1: thing with Tinder You know Okay, here, here's my theory of online dating yeah. By the way, I really was uh, checking Tinder While you were doing this Okay Theory of online Here's my theory of online dating So a girl's got a bunch of photos, right? You, right You look at all the photos Sure Pretty much The ugliest photo of her Yeah Is what she actually looks like Okay Now, if, if the ugliest photo of her You think she's attractive Yeah Then she's probably attractive Right Yes, sir? Would you like me to give you these? Yes,
0: please. Okay, here. I'm just just say, to... say it.
1: Say, give me those. I'm letting you keep talking.
0: I'm trying to keep a, keep a clean desk here. <laughs>
1: um, uh, so that's just uh, a word to the wise, which is the, um, the ugliest photo. Yeah. The ugliest profile photo of the girl is what she truly looks like which is to say that if you if you think that she's attractive in her worst photo then you then that's good you think okay. she's attractive. Well there we go. But what'll happen is you'll you'll scroll you'll go, oh cute. Oh cute. Oh. Cute, cute, looking good. Oh. <laughs> and that's pretty much my online experience.
0: Um, Blu-ray from just three more here. Blu-ray from Magnolia, Ballet 422, which is uh, essentially looking at the um, the from it's going to go. You start with the very, very first rehearsal uh, at the New York uh, New York City Ballet, and you go all the way through the entire process of how a single ballet is put together. And it is excruciating, and it is exacting, and it is fascinating, and it is beautifully photographed. Um, if you don't like ballet, you're not going to particularly love it. But uh, the New York City Ballet is amazing, and uh, you know what what these people go through in terms of stressing themselves and uh, the, I mean, it's just it, it, it's not glamorous <laughs> it's really an incredibly strenuous job they must really love it uh, also an uh, Emmy nominated Emmy nominated doc here Running From Crazy which is the untold story of the Hemingways this is from Barbara Koppel who is just absolutely amazing and Oprah Winfrey uh, threw her weight behind this as well this is from Virgil and um, this essentially gets into uh, Mariel Hemingway's mental health journey. And um, it's, you know, because it, she she discovered that there is this problem in the family and that it's just not just Ernest, uh, but it sort of runs through their genes. And it's actually, it's very personal but very forthcoming and very interesting. And I have a I have a Mariel Hemingway uh, story, by the way. Uh, what? <laughs> we were... This was I don't know maybe uh, a few months ago. We were at a market uh, that uh, you know, kind of a, a, whole, a holistic market around here. It's a very it's not like shishier than Whole Foods, but it was you know we were on we were on the way home and we stopped off. We're you like, were at
1: PC Greens.
0: No, no, it was not PC Greens. It was uh, it was like a, an Errol Juan. liar. You ever heard of arahuan? Of
1: course, it's one by my office. I've been going there for years.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay, so we stopped off.
1: It's a train back at the Grove.
0: Okay so we see we see an airwan we're like okay well let, you know let's stop off we'll grab something quick at the airwan deli probably has something interesting like you know uh fruit cake nugget chicken with barley or something who knows so something interesting so we we go in and while i'm you know i start to sort of look for some food and put some things together and meanwhile for some reason my daughter who's 2 just decides that she's not going to be cooperative, as kids often do. So she just splays right down, face down on the floor, and just lies there uncooperative, like, I am not moving, you aren't going to make me. And so my, my wife sort of stands, there, arms folded, and just lets her do it. It's like, fine, if you're going to be that way, we're not, we're not, I'm not going to pick you up, we're not going to play that game. Meanwhile, (laughs) Mariel Hemingway (laughs) walks in and stops and looks at this scene and looks at the kid on the floor and then looks at my wife as though to say, is this yours? And Christy kind of nods and goes, yeah. And then she just sort of smiled and walked along.
1: How long ago was this? Like
0: two or three months ago. Wow. Yeah. So we had a little Mariel Hemingway encounter. I can't wait until my daughter's older and I'll tell her all about it and she won't care. And then I'll show her.
1: And then you show a personal best.
0: And then I'll show her star 80. Yeah, it's what, and personal best and she'll be traumatized and then lastly uh, remote area medical uh, obviously um, the, uh, the Obamacare recently survived another court challenge so we are in for uh, so that's the end of it right? yeah fat chance the, uh, we're, we're going to be this healthcare debate is going to go on endlessly in the US and so uh, filling in the gaps are films that actually don't deal with the policy of it as much as they deal with just the people and they all have a little bit of a political agenda, some of them one way, some of them the other, but uh, they are worth watching because they're about people. They're, they just actually tell you what it's like on the ground when you're not dealing with policy experts and politicians and judges and uh, you know insurance companies and doctors. Um, and in this case, you you deal with uh, a really interesting collection of people who are having some serious health problems, and some of them health professionals, some of them ordinary people. Very, very interesting. And uh, the uh, the idea really centers around this, air, this thing called Remote Area Medical and its founder, Stan Brock, um, uh, which he kind of uh, created. It sort of was a brainstorm of him that he uh, came up with in the Amazon. And it is a uh, – it uh, it's a its – it's kind of a workshop that gives health care to people who can't afford it and who can't find it. So really an interesting film from the uh, Docurama wing of Cinedyme.
1: Wade, uh, documentary, uh, music documentary, very much recommended by me, is called uh, The Wrecking Crew. Now, um, The Wrecking Crew was, the, uh, was a, a backup band, and they played on – they're mostly synonymous with the Beach Boys, playing on all the Beach Boy records – um, and if you saw the uh, movie *Love and Mercy*, you saw uh, the Wrecking Crew fictionally in action. By the way, one of the members of the Wrecking Crew in the movie *Love and Mercy* was played by my sax teacher. Really? My saxophone teacher. Uh, he played one of the uh, he played the flute player in the Wrecking Crew in *Love and Mercy*. Anyway, uh, this is very much like um, this is very much like uh, the Funk Brothers, which is the house band for uh, um, uh, Motown. Very much like a Booker T and the MGs, which was the house band for for the Stack studio. Uh, the Wrecking Crew is the house band for just all of these great, amazing, wonderful songs. Again, Phil Spector, Nancy Sinatra, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, the Monkees. But really, they're kind of synonymous with the Beach Boys. So
0: mm.
1: it's just a wonderful documentary. You get a lot of great music and a lot of great archival footage. Uh, it's a lot of great recollections, a lot of great stories. Uh, these guys were so good, so professional, and so classy. They're really one of the unsung heroes of early of sixties and early seventies rock and roll. So I would very much uh, recommend the Wrecking Crew. Pretty cool. Also, there's a uh, there's a Carol King uh, uh, musical on Broadway right now. It's called. I it's uh, great, huh? I hear it's great. I, I you know what? Uh, it's it, it, I hear it is great too. I've not seen it um, because I was in New York twice in the last two months, and I was too busy both times. Um. Uh. Anyway, so this is called Music Cares, A Tribute to Carole King. Now, Carole King is a uh, 70s songwriter. Did a lot of amazing songs. And here you've got these great artists like Lady Gaga and uh, Zach Brown and Gloria Estefan and Miranda Lambert and James Taylor all reinterpreting her classic hits. Mm. Um, so far away. And uh, I Feel the Earth Move Under My Feet. Sure. Sing away. Sure. No, um, I'm not you're gonna, gonna sing. sing it. I feel no. the earth move under my feet. No, I mean? no. Um, anyway, a lot of great songs that uh, your parents would love, but you probably never heard of. But still, they're great songs. She, she comes in that classic '70s singer-songwriter mentality, so it's like all her singing it and performing it and writing it, and so it's great. "Crying in the Rain," "Natural Woman." Uh, so there you go. A music here is a tribute to Carol King. Your parents will love it.
0: And one more on the music end before we get into uh, new movies is a, uh, a Blu-ray and CD combo set. Mind you, this is standard definition Blu-ray, so you get lossless DTS audio, but the the, the video is standard def, so it's the equivalent of a DVD on a Blu-ray, if that makes sense. But you get this along with a CD. Uh, it is the Rolling Stones from the Vault: The Marquee Club Live in 1971. Pretty great. Um, always nice to see when the when the stones play just like clubs and not giant arenas uh, and it not it's by no means a small club but it's a it's a it's a pretty cool collection of songs uh, you get brown sugar and uh, let it rock and uh, and satisfaction obviously a lot of a lot of really cool stuff here and some bonus tracks I got the blues a couple of alternative takes um, so yeah uh, definitely cool uh, if you're a stones fan it's a must-have
1: I'm a stones fan all right
0: new movies mark let it rip
1: let it rip. Uh, let's start with, uh, you know what? I have to say, uh, just in terms of pure enjoyment, Kingsman, The Secret Service, one of my top I, films. I love this movie.
0: Dude, I miss this in theaters. I, I watched this thing in, it, I mean, mind you, you know, with the volume of stuff we get, it's like, let's watch, you know, 10 minutes of it, check this, this, I watched every single solitary second of this movie. It's a blast. Twice, <laughs> I watched it twice. How great is this I movie? watched every second of every extra. I I indulged myself in. I looked for Easter eggs that weren't there. I just I didn't want. It, I didn't want it to end. I truly did not want this movie to end.
1: I agree. Could not, I not agree more. Didn't want it to end. I think this is just a terrific movie. Colin Firth. Uh, plays a secret. He plays a secret service agent who's part of this Kingsman uh, initiative where he's yeah. incredibly dapper. Yeah, way more dapper than James well, Bond could ever. Like James Bond is a homeless man compared to how dapper Colin Firth is. And then he takes this uh, this wayward kid under his wing. It's
0: uh, you know, it, it's, it's whip
1: smart. It's exciting. It's fun. It's a blast. It's Very I tongue in
0: cheek. It was, it's got. I, I, you know, it's, it's a little.
1: It's a little twist. A little bit of crack. It's A
0: little. It's a little campy. Samuel Jackson with his lisp is great, and there's and there are. It's it's incredibly irreverent. I love the fact that it is just in. It is over the top R-rated. It's not a, It's a, at no point did they say oh, we really should try to make a PG-13. Didn't even think about it. Once it...
1: once, once, <laughs> once, they said the F word a couple times, they're like, we're all in.
0: We're all in. We're all in. We're all in. A lot and... of violence.
1: A lot of, uh, it's great. Oh my
0: gosh, the violence is so over the top. I mean, Matthew is...
1: Vaughn, he, that guy can bring it. He, he, he has fun. I that guy just, has fun.
0: I, yeah, I love it when Matthew Vaughn isn't just being a, I mean, I love it whenever he does anything. I think he's one of the best directors working. But when he's not doing an X-Men film or a tent pole he's been hired for, when it's something that he can put his imprint on, uh, you know, then it just it just kills it. I mean, look, look obviously, I'm a huge fan of Kick-Ass, the original Kick-Ass, which it has a lot in common with this. Uh, similar sensibilities. It's just, it's cartoonish, it's comic booky, of course, based on a graphic novel, but it just, it has a mean spirit, and it's not afraid of it, and it's very tongue-in-cheek when it references the Bond films. And, and I
1: did not expect that twist about two-thirds of the way in.
0: I, I didn't either. I didn't either I didn't see it coming uh, What's interesting too In the extras They talk extensively About the changes That they made From the graphic novel Which is very interesting uh, One of them may, Namely being the church scene Which is not in the graphic novel It's a, It's originally a wedding On a beach And Matthew Vaughn Just decided that you know People wouldn't respond well To that particular Kind of thing Happening at a wedding But he thought If, it's, if it takes place In kind of a Westboro Baptist church thing uh, Then I think that's that really pushes it and the
1: audience will get behind it because it's a Westboro Church thing but
0: it's oh my gosh it's just this and look this film caught a little bit of flack for a certain um, a a political uh, some people read like a political statement into it which I think is silly it's really kind of an anarchistic statement it's a it's a it's a very cynical film but it's kind of gleefully cynical and I appreciate that I it just sort of has a devil may care attitude it has no respect for anyone or anything and it just sort of slaughters sacred cows left and right, and there's something cathartic about that. And man, is it well directed? It is. I mean, it's so well directed. He just he, he is so much better than even than, than his mentor Guy Ritchie at, at that just hyper cutty, hyper violent, highly stylized slow motion, fast well, motion but the stuff. Thing with, the
1: thing with Guy Ritchie is that is that he's kind of become a bit of a cliche. Whereas Matthew Vaughn takes some of that. Whereas Matthew Vaughn, he's not there yet. He's just as stylish as Guy Ritchie but doesn't feel as tired.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Point Mm -hmm. being, we love the Kingsman.
0: Loved it. Absolutely fantastic um and then we've got uh, you know blu-ray of song one which we talked about some weeks ago and i'm not quite sure why this is on the on the radar again but it's on my calendar so here we go uh this is i guess being re-released or at least re-released on blu-ray uh this week song one which is just uh i wanted to like it more uh unfortunately it's just really really tedious uh, Anne Hathaway essentially plays a woman who's uh, an anthropologist, and you know uh, her brother has an accident and is in a coma, and she comes home and and gets involved with this uh, musician who was sort of an icon of her brother's, as a way of trying to rouse him from his coma. Anyway, uh, it's it, it should be a really in, in endearing uh, family drama, winds up feeling very contrived and a little bit uh, under undercooked i guess uh jonathan Demi threw his name on it got this thing uh, made as a producer uh some good supporting cast members here you know uh, mary steenburgen always wonderful to see she's just she's been great forever but uh otherwise you know i Anne hathaway kind of a misfire for her so that's uh, that's a little unfortunate
1: Oh wait! I was kind of hoping that the forger would be like a little uh, return to form for John Travolta, who's 61 years old now, something like yeah. that. God love him. Yeah. Instead, this thing is uh, really just a sluggish and a little bit cliched and hammy kind of genre film. Uh, it's an, it's about an art heist. is all I'll tell you. There's a lot of a lot of twists and turns in it. Travolta plays the uh, the titular forger. He, he plays a, a what titular forger? Okay. He makes a deal with these, right. uh, with, his, with the mob, okay. right? Uh, so he trades an early release from prison for something he's got to do for the mob. Anyway, it's a promising cast. Christopher Plummer's in it. Please don't die, Christopher Plummer. We love you. You're the best. He is the best. Yeah. Lo- he's, he played uh, Klingon in Star Trek. He was so amazing in Beginners. He's Christopher Plummer. Anyway, um, you know, very paint-by-numbers, kind of implausible. Uh, It's kind of, again, it's a little bit sluggish, not that inspired. It's a little too formula to really, you know, to really. This is a little better than a straight-to-DVD movie, quite frankly. It's just really not that great. Um, so I would pass on the Forger unless it's a Saturday night and you haven't seen it and you like John Travolta. Then I just it's it's a good popcorn time waster, but uh, uh, you'll you you'll be ex- uh, you'll be expecting more and you won't get it.
0: So uh, the very unfortunate unfinished business, um, man. I just I, I, I always want to like Vince Vaughn movies because I like Vince Vaughn. I like the I like the kind of hipster. I'm still sort of stuck on Swingers. I want that guy to be in every movie, but he's not in every movie. Uh, unfinished business. So Vince Vaughn, Tom Wilkinson, and Dave Franco are entrepreneurs who go to Europe for a business meeting and then uh, wind up basically having to suffer through what is yet another knockoff of the hangover. And that's it. It's a, it's a hangover knockoff, uh, except, you know, with businessmen in Europe. I don't I – don't, it's not it, – there's nothing new here. Um, okay supporting cast. Not really any extras in this thing. Uh, you know, there's uh, some featurette stuff and that's it. I just... It's unfortunate. Needed a better movie.
1: Uh Run All Night is um, Liam Neeson's latest attempt to uh, uh, save his wife's life through film. <laughs> I mean, that's how I love you know, He didn't do this until his wife died. I know. So I, I have this theory yeah. that he became an action hero, you know, starting with Taken yeah. and whatnot because he felt like maybe... Somehow cathartically through film, he could save his wife. Yeah, maybe. So now all he does is run around with a gun saving people. And the latest is uh, Run All Night. And I have to say, this thing is completely serviceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, I love Taken. Taken was great, blast of fresh air. He was great in it. But he has not done anything as good as Taken since. Nope. Um, so, Run All Night, very boilerplate. Um, it's funny, like it's it, it's at once boilerplate and too complicated. Yeah. Uh, so it's like it's one of those tough guy redemption things where Liam Neeson, you know, he's uh, he's hit, he's his bad guy, and he's best friends with a mob boss, and now he's haunted by his past, and then he's he's hounded by this police detective, and it's, it gets kind of complicated, but. Uh, Again, it's a little like the Forger where it's a completely serviceable Saturday night uh you know, red box rental. Sure. Um but really I just think this thing is just so frantic and just uh it's, it's just so frantic and complicated and cliched and I feel like I've seen it before and I wish Liam Neeson would go do something else.
0: No, yeah, he will at some point. He'll have to. He, he, <laughs> he's
1: running out of movies he's to. Uh, running of, he's running out of people to save.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it yeah, at a certain point he's gotta become, you know, a real actor again. Uh, you know, big in Japan. This is a, this is okay. Uh, this is basically about a rock band. Who? Um, it's a little independent film from Strand. It's about a rock band that uh, from Seattle who gets a chance to go on tour in Japan. And as a fish out of water film, this is actually a, a lot more interesting. The uh, it, it kind of has. Uh, it's got a little edge to it, and any, I mean, most of these movies where Japan is this weird alien world, whether it's Lost in Translation or even you know Jerry Lewis baseball movie, or you know, there are there are a handful of these. Um, uh, Michael Douglas in Black Rain. Uh, there's all kind, you know, there are a million different profiles of Japan that these movies can present, and they all seem to kind of find something a little different. And this is one. This is a take I hadn't seen before. Uh, very very interesting. Uh, the uh, the director is Jeff uh, John Jeffcoat. Who is starting to become kind of a kind of a thing, and he's he does a really good job. So I uh, I would say for a cool little indie, if you have like a, if you're interested in uh, you know fish out of water movies, uh, movies with a little rock and roll angle to them, big in Japan, worth checking out.
1: Wait, interesting film uh, you might want to check out called Welcome to Me. This is uh, Kristen Wiig's latest attempt to. Um become a little bit more of a serious actress. I was a huge fan of the skeleton twins I thought that that was, was great super. wasn't I it I, that was a big surprise another surprise like, I just thought that was so good I, she was amazing and he was amazing they're great they're great in fantastic it fantastic I th- really was very surprised yeah. i was just i thought that movie was just terrific uh, this one is not as good this one although it's fine it's it's a, it's a um it is uh she plays a woman who has uh, who's borderline and as, as someone whose ex-girlfriend was borderline yeah uh, I can tell you that uh, there is a certain amount of truth to this. And, uh, but, however, it's not a disease of the week type movie. It's uh, played for laughs, but not like ha-ha comedy laughs. In the movie, Kristen Wiig plays the uh, woman with personality disorder uh, who's borderline, and she wins, the, uh, uh, she wins the lottery, wins millions of dollars in the lottery, and decides to take the money and start her own talk show. Cool. And uh, that's what She does. And so she uses this talk show to work through her emotional issues on live TV. This thing played at uh, Toronto, and it was fairly well received. Um, it was directed by um, a uh, this actress filmmaker named Shira Piven, who does a pretty good job. Be curious to see what she does next. Um, so it's definitely a bit of an experiment. It's definitely a stretch for Kristen Wiig, who I think. Um, Again, it's not a it's not a ha ha funny comedy, but because she's like a bit wacky, she does get to like she does get to hit those kind of I'm a wacky actress beats because this character is a little bit weird. But uh, there's still a lot of deep soulful stuff in it. So um, I think that Kristen Wiig is kind of uh, expanding nicely into the dramatic Concur. realm. Concur. I don't know that she's going to win an Oscar anytime soon, but uh, you know. But I think this is a compassionate film. Uh, it's a well meaning film. Uh, it's a good film, it's a quirky film And uh, it's definitely something to check out Welcome to me
0: Alright, i got three films here I'm going to kick through real quickly One is a really cool genre movie, low budget genre thing But Strange Blood, directed by a music video uh, director By the name of Chad Michael Ward uh, This is kind of in the fly
1: Chad Michael Vincent?
0: No, Chad Michael Ward Chad is... Michael Vincent? No, Chad Michael Ward Chad in... Michael Vincent? No, stop it This is in the uh, Frankenstein slash the fly mode and it's basically about a guy who's uh, he's a scientist. They're always scientists. It's a horrible occupation. He's trying to uh, find a cure for this uh, sort of a, a catch-all cure for illness and winds up uh, through the process turning himself into just a, a horrible monster, just a, a deadly killer, crazed lunatic, uh, whatever have you. Uh, it's basically just a horror film. It's kind of a genre science fiction slash horror film suspense thing. Anyway, if you like that kind of stuff, it'll, it'll, it'll certainly scratch your itch. It's not the best I've ever seen, but I was, I was pleasantly impressed by what they did with the, uh, with the budget. Uh, also on our little genre tack here, The Lazarus Effect. Uh, this is from the people who previously did uh, Insidious and Paranormal Activity. I'm unfortunately going to have to talk about a paranormal activity film on my next film week. Not looking forward to it. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, the Lazarus effect is, uh, gosh, Mark Duplass just gets, he's in everything.
1: How I does like the, him. It, I what, like the Duplass
0: part. How does he, he must have like, he, he must have the secret of working 37 hours a day. I don't yes, know he where does. he finds the extra time. It's very strange. Anyway. He so likes Ma- you. So Mark Duplass and Olivia Wilde are uh, this couple who are trying to resurrect human beings. They're trying to, you know, do the Frankenstein deal. And uh, naturally, everything succeeds, and uh, there are no problems and uh, they live happily ever after it 's the strangest horror film i 've ever seen. Nothing goes wrong isn 't that interesting no uh, it 's not really what happens so as as you might imagine, things always go wrong, and uh, you know it 's frankenstein it 's a whole frankenstein deal
1: um, that 's Frankenstein
0: thank you. an almost successful, disappointing Only that it doesn't sort of close the deal as well as it should is this movie Time Lapse. Um, Time travel movies are always going to have a certain problem, and they always run into paradoxes. This one tries to evade the paradox by sort of inventing uh, some interesting twists. It's essentially about three people who discover that the guy who lives across the way is gone, but that he's been taking photographs of them with this giant Polaroid contraption that takes photographs of the future. So they go over and find out what they see, and they're like photographs on the wall, and they find out what's going to happen by looking at the photographs, which, of course, generates all kinds of paranoia when they start seeing themselves... And doing things to each other that look like betrayal and and yada, yada, yada et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it, it, as as easy as it might sound like for that idea to to run away from itself, they it, they really keep it pretty contained and and, and interesting. Uh, the uh, The director is Bradley King, and he also wrote it with uh, BP. Cooper. and they I think they have a real future. this, I mean, the whole thing is just, Essentially, these three actors with a couple of other actors at a certain point, you know, uh, who just kind of pop in um, to, you know, heighten attention. But it's pretty much just, uh, you know, a handful of actors in a couple of rooms. And yet it's very suspenseful. It never feels all that claustrophobic. I will say this. Ultimately, it turns into Shallow Grave. And Shallow Grave winds up being a better movie. But uh, time lapse, uh, good-looking film on Blu-ray, not a bad indie, doesn't close the deal, but worth checking out.
1: Wade, what's not worth checking out is Chappie, the latest nail in the coffin of director Neil Blomkamp.
0: Oh, man, what's wrong with him?
1: I'll tell you, it's District 9. We were all over it. Oh, my God, this guy's a visionary. It's, it's unbelievable. And you know what? He's just falling off the map. Chappie uh, is basically short circuit and Robocop put together. In the near future, Wade, mm. there's, uh, there's robot police. No. And the people don't like robot police, no. Wade. So what they do is they kidnap one of the robot Ugh. police people, robot ro- police robot robots, and they reprogram it, Wade. Oh, no. So it has humanity. It can think, Wade. No. It's a robot who can think. No. And that robot's name? Steve. No. Chappie. This is just rubbish. I was so... I've seen this all before. It is just clunky and confused and... And I just, again, we've seen it all before, and I just, there's nothing compelling about this. It it feels like a kid's film that I I, I don't know why he would do this. I just don't know what he's, has he not seen the 75 other movies that hit these same beats? And normally, look, Sigourney Weaver's in this. Yeah. And I'm sure her participation in this film, I'm sure they got to talking around the craft service table (laughs) about Alien and I'm sure that they started talking about Alien. I'm sure that she was instrumental in getting Neil Blomkamp. Oh, she was mental to the new Alien mm-hmm. film. But I don't want the director of Chappie no. doing the new Alien film. Right. I want the director of District Nine. Or even the director of *Alien*. Elys- I'll take the director of *Elysium*. Let's, well, yeah, doing sure, doing *Alien*.
0: Let's let's see how it all shakes out. It, it's interesting that that this had not even opened when his uh, his involvement in the alien film was announced, and that uh, I think was sort of a, a way to sort of distract from this film and save his reputation.
1: That is true. Anyway, Chappie, uh, pass. That's a all pass. Right. And
0: uh, interesting little film here, Against the Sun, which uh, this is one of those movies that, you know, 15, 20 years ago would probably have uh, gotten a theatrical release. Uh, Loosely based in the true story from 1942, where a trio of airmen all go missing mysteriously um, somewhere over the the, uh, South Pacific. And uh, th- this is basically their survival story. It's that piece of uh, Angelina Jolie's film, um, uh, Unbroken, sort of blown up to uh, feature length, uh, done generally well. Um, it's a little overlong. It's about 100 minutes, and it really doesn't justify more than about 85. But uh, some decent effects here, some good direction from Brian Falk, who I think has a, has a, has a future to do some interesting things. And uh, it's not bad. For a movie that with, with limited resources, they really made the most of it. And uh, another another interesting little indie. So well done there.
1: Uh, Kristen Stewart stars in Camp X-Ray. Camp X-Ray is a, a topical drama. She plays a uh, young woman who's... Uh, she's a guard in Guantanamo Bay. She was lived in a small town and wanted to make a difference. Winds up in Guantanamo Bay. And there's, of course, jihadists everywhere. And the members of her squad don't respect her, at least initially. So what's good about the movie is that... Um, it does give you a sense of what it's like to be a woman in the U.S. military, and this, that's, definitely, that's definitely a valid angle to take. Um, and Kristen Stewart is kind of the best thing about the movie. Uh, some, of the, um, some of the interrogation scenes are pretty thoughtful, and they're not politicized. It simply is what it's like to be in Guantanamo Bay or be a woman in the, in the military, so I kind of like that. Um, so really it's an actor's piece more than it is anything else. So Camp X-Ray, if you're a big, uh, Kristen Stewart fan maybe from Twilight, I would uh, give this one a, uh, give this one a flyer.
0: And then lastly, before we get into our Fox box, um, <coughs> Michael, no, Aww. Michael Douglas is showing up in straight to video stuff that tells you what era we have gone to now. Um, Ronnie Cox in this as well. You know, Ronnie Cox, man, he was such a fixture in the
1: eighties, wasn't he? Ronnie Cox, yeah, he was seventies and eighties. He was the captain in, uh, in in Star Trek: The Next Generation, Best of Both Worlds, Part One and Two. Yeah, I'm glad. And you also, were. Glad and you he was in that. Deliverance.
0: Uh, uh, yes, yeah, true. He was. He sure was. Brilliant. Really? Seventies and eighties.
1: He dislocated his own shoulder for the scene where where he dies that's and floats right. down the river. He Thank told you. John Borm, "He's like, you know what? I can dislocate my shoulder. Can we use that?"
0: Oh, he really did dislocate his shoulder. Yeah, yeah he because he, he, he can do like that's yeah. a, he can that's he, it's he like can he's do. double jointed or something. So he actually did that. Yep pretty great I hope, we did, j- I hope we didn't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen deliverance that's Delivered. what i was thinking by the way uh, uh in, in to not not to further spoil it but ned Beatty he squeals like a piggy
1: oh, i know he does he squeals ned like Beatty. a piggy ned Beatty's the best
0: man can you imagine make, shooting that scene it's, oh. just, it's just humiliating
1: well ned Beatty yeah. claims that the guy who played the redneck yeah. got into that a little <laughs> too much and Ned Beatty was terrified by that guy. And that guy, because he wasn't like a he wasn't no, like a, not an a actor. seasoned actor. No,
0: he's he was a, he's just... a real Appalachian hillbilly. And so
1: he that guy got into that crap, and he <laughs> scared the hell out of Ned Beatty. He was like, "That was some edgy stuff going on there." Uh,
0: that's why the scene's so good. Anyway, uh, no, Michael Douglas. Uh, this is an okay film. It's an okay kind of you know actiony drama deal. Um, mm. uh, Michael Douglas is the only really kind of A-list thing about this. No offense to Ronnie Cox. Uh, no, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a big game hunter, and he uh, hires this young guy, to played by Jeremy Irvine, to uh, kind of take him on a hunting tour in the Mojave and uh uh, you know you're in the mojave you're far from civilization and uh you know naturally things are things go wrong and even being a big game hunter can you handle it when everything goes haywire and you're far from civilization and uh suddenly you begin to realize that dun 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 uh the hunter is the hunted and all that kind of all those kinds of uh cliches i mean it's fine um there's a commentary on here uh, with the, with Michael Douglas who also produced the film along with the director and uh, another one of the producers. And it's, it's fine. I mean, uh, you know, I, I just – I hate seeing Michael Douglas uh, sort of wind up doing stuff like this. He should be doing better movies still. He's a better producer. He's a better actor. So hopefully this Michael is Michael just... Douglas is an Ant-Man. He's what?
1: He's an Ant-Man.
0: I know, but he's not the star of Ant-Man. He's like the original Hank Pym who kind of hands the baton off. I love that's, Michael Douglas. That's like, that's like a glorified cameo. I, I mean, love I Michael guarantee Douglas. you he's not going to be in much of that movie. He'll be, he'll be like in the first, you know, ten minutes, and then he might show up in a flashback sequence somewhere halfway through or near the end. But, I mean, he probably worked on that movie for three days. I, I guarantee you. I, not having seen it, I guarantee you. All right, Mark, we're going to do a Vox Box. Please. Hi, this is Clark from Boston, and I have a quick question for you. I find the image quality and sound quality of DVDs to be distracting at this point. What do you do with your old DVDs? In a lot of cases, I have digital upgrades or Blu-ray copies, but in all cases, I find myself never rewatching them. When do you get rid of them? And when you do get rid of them, what do you do with them? Thanks so much, and I love your show. Clark Aldrich, thank you very much. Uh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know that I've ever, got, I don't know I've ever gotten rid of a DVD. I'm kind of... Dragging no, you it. have
1: not gotten rid of any DVDs. You're, you Look, wait. Let, let me ask you a question. Do you park your car in your garage or out on your driveway?
0: Uh, down the street. Because why? Why is that, Wade? Because every garage on the block is filled with my DVDs. But your garage <laughs> is
1: filled with DVDs. It's
0: pretty much, yeah. Um, no, no, I, you know, he, first of all, to to the first part of his question, um, I I don't find a, a lot of the stuff that that you and I have on DVD is not acceptably available on on Blu-ray, and a lot of it that is on Blu-ray actually still looks better on DVD. Once upon a time in the West, if you've seen the Blu-ray, it's kind of an abortion. Uh, the DVD of Once Upon a Time in the West is 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 the correct color timing; it looks correct. They they screwed it up on the Blu-ray, so um and and also you know I use an up converting player i think you you use an up converter as well, so it uh, if you 're looking at it on a high def television an up converting blu ray player a good one like an oppo or a or a, or a Marantz, is going to give you a really, really good-looking picture, uh, especially if you have a large screen and you sit a decent distance from it. It's not going to be that distracting. Um, the, you know, the I, I don't know, I don't know that I find the audio that that distracting. There are older DVDs that really bug me because they're badly mastered, and because even upconverted and especially upconverted, you start to see all kinds of artifacts and noise and pixelation, and uh, you know, they sort of never imagined that anybody would look at it on anything larger than a 27-inch screen. Uh, you know, cathode ray tube screen. But those are few and far between. The stuff that we get rid of, what do we do with it, Mark? We take it to Amoeba and we see if they want to throw us a few shekels.
1: That's true. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. like when, when During the DVD era, I would just collect as many DVDs as I could. Yeah. So I had some impressive looking collection of like yeah. thousands of DVDs. Yeah. Now that we're on Blu-ray, which might be the last stop on the package mm. media train, although now there's the 4K coming. Yeah. Now, I, I pretty much have a Blu-ray collection that I can honestly say is every Blu-ray I have is a movie that I love and want to keep. Yep. Because either they're my personal favorite films or they're historically important.
0: Yeah, I agree. I still
1: have a couple hundred DVDs of films that are, are, are important or favorites that are not on Blu-ray. I still do have that. Yeah. Um, you know, I had the Preston Sturgis box set of all of his films, but it's only on D V D and I can't imagine ever being a Blu ray. Yeah. So I that like that I keep.
0: And and there are you know yeah, so I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's uh but I'm I you know, I am gonna have to have a big culling session later in the year because it, it's true. I was talking to Stefan Hammond, who we've interviewed on this show, who's in Hong Kong, the, our, our resident Hong Kong film expert, and Stefan's been culling his collection. He just says, look, there's only so much time left in life, and you have a job, and you have family, and you have holidays and things, and you, you don't want, you know, y- you, have m- you have more hours on disc than you have hours left in your life. You're never going to watch it all. And that's true. So I, I just figure, you know what, I, The most of the stuff I'm going to watch again, I'm going to want to show my daughter. So I'm going to hang on to the stuff that I really love.
1: By the way, all that is a bunch of crap because it you have thousands and thousands upon no, thousands you're right. you're upon right. thousands of DVDs you're right. you're that right. you would not. Literally, it could be like the worst movie you've ever seen in it's your true. entire life that you don't even want to watch, and yep. you will you would not you would not even lend it to me.
0: I, it's true. I, I I was sitting there holding Eye for an Eye the other day, and I just thought this movie's terrible. But I, it's got Christopher Lee in it, and he just died, and I feel like I need to honor him by holding on to a horrible Chuck Norris movie. It's not nearly as good as I thought it was. That's right. I yeah, that's true.
1: Welcome to Wade.
0: Yeah, I'm an addict. I, I'm 12-step. Here I come. I don't think they have any 12-steps. Anyway. All right, that's it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. See y'all.